North Carolina outscored Clemson by nine points in the final 36-32 on Tuesday night. Great work. Oh, here's the problem. Carolina was already down 13. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you so much, in particular, you everydayers, for joining us to get your Carolina content every single day. This episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. If you're joining us for this therapy session, uh, we're glad that you're here. If you're not part of this Locked on Tar Heels community, we'd love to invite you to a deeper level of it. There is a Locked on Tar Heels Discord community. It's free. We're hanging out, talking Carolina stuff along the links in the show notes. Come join us. We'd love to have you. Okay. Carolina loses at home to Clemson 80-76 to on Tuesday night. Tar Heels fall to 18-5 overall, 10-2 in ACC play. Interestingly, at Ken Palm, there was really no change. Carolina stayed at 8th overall, 22nd in offensive efficiency, 8th in defensive efficiency. I think it's interesting to point out the computer numbers aren't freaking out over this loss, so probably we shouldn't either. By the way, if you want to uh, hear the live postcast that we did immediately following the game on Tuesday night where we go a little bit more into some of the nitty-gritty statistical stuff, Uh, You can check that out. I'm going to link it right here for those of you watching on YouTube. If you're listening to this, you can find that in your audio feed right beside this podcast, either right above it or below it. So you'll find it there. All right. You know the big storyline. This is just the second ever loss at home to Clemson. The Tigers are now 2-60 in Chapel Hill. But those two matter. And they're sad and frustrating because I love that streak. This is the first time this loss in ACC play this season that Carolina did not hold a double-digit lead over their opponent at some point in the game. In fact, it's worse than that. Carolina never held a lead in this game. They tied it up twice, two all and 70-all. But not enough. They were never in the lead in this game. And that was the problem for North Carolina. The start and the finish. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but bear with me and you'll see what I mean. In the first 328 of this game, Clemson was plus 13. They went on a 15-2 run to start the game. In the final four minutes of the game, Clemson was plus four. That was from the moment when Carolina tied it at 70 through the end of the game. Clemson was plus four, 10 to six in that stretch. Everything in between, after that first 328 and before that final four, Carolina led this game 68 to 55 plus 13 in the middle portion of the game. But here's the problem. You got to execute out of the gate and you got to execute down the stretch. And even though you lead the game by 13 for the vast majority of things in the middle, it doesn't matter. So let's look at the start first. Carolina gets into a 15 to two deficit. Clemson hit six of seven to start the game. In this stretch, seven of eight in totality, Hubert called a, uh, Hubert Davis called a timeout right then and there with Carolina down 15 to two with 1632 to go. 
Now, from there, over the final 36 minutes and 32 seconds of the game, the Tar Heels were plus nine. They outscored Clemson 74 to 65. But here's the problem. I've already alluded to it. That first 328 where Clemson took a 15 to two lead counts every bit as much as that final 36 and a half minutes. So the problem there is that in that first three and a half minutes, Clemson was already plus 13. So it doesn't matter if Carolina is plus nine the rest of the way, you're still down for 40 minutes. You got to play a full 40 minutes. That is the key that we're talking about. Now, Coach Pat Kilby and I cautioned this on Tuesday's show. Clemson was desperate, and it was going to be incredibly difficult for Carolina to match that level of intensity, particularly coming off of Saturday where you're feeling yourself a little bit and you got to quickly refocus. From what we saw and some of what we heard from like Armando Baycott, Carolina came out flat, and they were frankly not ready for this game, at least at the level that Clemson was. And even though it was just the first 328, that's enough to lose you the ball game and put you in a hole that you cannot ultimately climb out of. Carolina said and did the right things about being ready, but it was obvious. It was obvious to everyone that there was a level of letdown in this game. And look, understandably so. I am human just like these young men. I am not a robot. I cannot operate at peak performance game in and game out. I, that's just that's just true. but. Man, it just wasn't there to start the game. Um, and and just even that little bit is what can lose you the game. Right out of the gate. Got to be ready to go from the tip. That is why every single second, every possession is so, so critical. And typically when we talk about playing a full 40 minutes, we're looking at like, hey, you got to see it through to the end. But in this instance, the issue was the beginning. In the hole, again, just simply too deep to climb out of. But there was also an issue at the finish. So let's fast forward to there. Now, look, phenomenal job from Carolina to fight back. Yeah, like they get down 15 to 2, 17 to 4, and then they just keep pushing, keep pushing. Heck, they ended up getting down 16 with around two minutes left in the first half before halftime. And critically, in those final 120 seconds, shaved seven points off the lead to cut it down to nine at the half. I thought that was really important in Carolina's ability to maybe make a push in the second half, and that's exactly what they did. They got the lead down to two, just five and a half minutes into the second half. And I'll tell you what, if you had told me pregame, hey, look, the Tar Heels are going to be down two with 14 and a half minutes to go. I wouldn't have loved that, but I would have taken it and said, sure, they'll be great. They'll overcome that. I'm all in. But Clemson kept responding to every Carolina push multiple times. I think three times within that little span there, Carolina cut it to two, but Clemson just kept answering. Until that third time, they went on a 7-0 run to push the lead back to nine. But yet again, the Tar Heels pushed it right back, finally getting to the point where they tied it up at 70 with four minutes and 17 seconds left. And that is the closing stretch that we want to talk about. Because from that moment, Carolina had multiple opportunities to take the lead from 70 all because from 70 all PJ Hall goes to the free throw line, misses the front end of a one and one. And y'all, this is it. This is the moment I'm like, oh, Carolina has the ball. They're tied. They fought all the way back. Now is when they get over the top 
take the lead and then Clemson's going to lay down and die because that's what they've done in, in this whole stretch of losing games. Way to go, Tar Heels. Way to fight it out. And, and the moment happens. R.J. Davis gets the ball. He drives, gets past Chase Hunter, draws P.J. Hall coming off of Armando Baycott. R.J. leaves a bounce pass from Mondo. Mondo's going to catch it, dunk it. Carolina two-point lead, and we're off and running in the final four minutes, and Clemson's done. But here's the problem. That pass just leaked right through Mondo's legs. You know, whether it was the pass or the inability to catch, it doesn't matter. Carolina didn't convert there, and they didn't convert really much at all in that final four minutes because even the next possession, Carolina had a stop. Uh, Clemson goes down, Carolina gets a stop, but P.J. Hall, offensive rebound put back, missed the free throw, he got fouled, but Clemson's up too. Next possession, R.J. has a really good look at a three. No, misses it. All told from that moment of the tie, 70 all, Clemson goes on a 7-0 run to salt the game away, during which Carolina committed three turnovers and was 0 of 1 from the floor. They only got one shot in that span, and it was that RJ3 I just mentioned. Three turnovers. That, that's not this team, and I don't think it's their identity, and I don't think it's what they're going to do much, but they did it in this specific instance, at least in some part, because the mental capacity, the mental preparation hadn't been there on Sunday and Monday. It's not just about flipping it on in a game. That can't be it. And ultimately, ball game, right? That's it. Even, even despite that, that porous, terrible beginning, Carolina had a chance. But the beginning and the end bit them in the butt. So both of these ACC losses, Georgia Tech last Tuesday and then Clemson this Tuesday, last night, you could have won but just couldn't quite get it done. And it's really frustrating that for the second straight Tuesday, Carolina over the weekend had just grown to a two-game cushion in the ACC play, in the ACC standings, I should say, and then just gave it right back. Um, now, for me, I'd say while you'd rather not lose this game, nothing is ultimately overly concerning to me. Um, you know, I mean, you, you lose this game without Seth Trimble. We'll talk more about that. But there's nothing outside of you just got to be better mentally prepared for the beginning and the end of this game. And you win. Now, there are other factors that we're going to talk about that would have played in too. But I think better mental preparation to play a full 40 minutes from tip to final buzzer wins this game for Carolina. Well, on we go to Saturday. Carolina travels down to Coral Gables. Big time, very now critical matchup with Miami because your margin for error is now gone. Okay, we want to get to some uh, offensive rebounding issues that Carolina allowed Clemson to have their way with in the second half. We'll get to that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by Game Time. Question for you. What would you do with an extra $100 if you were in Vegas this weekend for the big game? Myself? I'd get a very nice filet, maybe a little peppercorn crust on it. Just go treat myself at a restaurant. Well, guess what? That little dream that I just have of that filet doesn't have to just be a what if. It can be your reality. If you buy a big game ticket for this weekend from Game Time using code Vegas100, Game Time, it's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. For example, we're just about a month away from conference tournaments for basketball, and Game Time would be the perfect place to get last-minute tickets for that. 
even if you wanted to just go a day or two, game time is the way to do it. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Right now, all users get $100 off a big game ticket with code Vegas100. Just download the app and use code Vegas100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to that game, use code Locked On uh, Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Outside of the mental lack of preparation for the beginning and the end of this game, I want to tell you the statistical thing that was the biggest issue for me. It was Clemson's offensive rebounding and second chance points that came off of those. Now, to be fair, Clemson is a really, really good offensive rebounding team. We saw that in the first game as Ian Shefflin just kind of went nuts for a little bit early in the second half. Um, So give them their due. They did a great job but Carolina should be able to shut it down. Now, interestingly, you might be looking at the box score on screen or on your phone if you're listening and think, Isaac, I don't, the the offensive rebounds look pretty equal. It's 11 for Clemson and nine for Carolina. I mean, you'd like to win that category, but it's pretty equal. And the second chance points, Isaac, you said uh, that allowing all those to Clemson was a big deal. I look at, I'm looking at the box score and it looks like Clemson, yeah, they beat Carolina, but it was only by one second chance point, 13 to 12. Those things are all true, and I, you're absolutely right if you're saying those things to me. But let's dig in a little deeper, shall we, to see the problem. Clemson, in the first half of this game, had just two offensive rebounds and zero second-chance points. Really nice job, Carolina, finishing off defensive possessions with a rebound, ending those possessions, not letting Clemson get to that glass. Again, just two offensive rebounds, and zero second-chance points in the first half. So that means that in the second half, Clemson went bonkers on the offensive glass and then scoring off of it. So if you felt like, man, as I was watching this game, it felt like Clemson was gobbling up offensive rebound after offensive rebound and then scoring on all of them in the like down the stretch of the game, you would be absolutely correct in that thinking because in the final 20 minutes of this game, Clemson had nine offensive rebounds and scored 13 second chance points off of those. All of that only in the second half. So while the final numbers look pretty equal, Clemson just blitzed this thing in the second half, man. And that can't, I mean, that even happened in in some parts of this game where both Jalen Washington and Armando Baycott are playing together. And even still, Clemson is doing that to the Tar Heels. There just was no answer. I, I, you know, and some of this is Harrison Ingram was out for several minutes. He only had six rebounds in this game. So not, didn't do what he's been doing lately. Uh, you know, Jalen Withers didn't get a ton of action. He was the one that came in and kind of slowed Shefflin's offensive rebounding onslaught in the first game. So I, I don't know necessarily why that wasn't there. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but look, nine offensive rebounds and 13 second chance points in the second half. That's just execution and desire. Get a box out. You know, I, I I mentioned it on the live postcast. There was a play where a Clemson shot goes up and several Carolina guys were around the rim. And unfortunately, like I don't intend to like belittle Armando, but I just, he was, he was the culprit here. The shot goes up. He does not find PJ Hall and put a body on him to box him out. That is like critical. The only thing you, when the ball goes up, find your guy, put a butt on him. Don't let him get the basketball. And PJ just got an easy putback. I mean, it's like things like that. 
And so if, if Carolina even cuts those offensive rebounds down two or three and cuts the second chance points down, then six or seven, that's, that's essentially a tie ball game. Carolina didn't do it. And the offensive rebounds in the second half, I thought were the statistical key to Clemson getting this win in the Smith center. Now, uh, another thing that was really critical to this game was missing, missing Seth Tremble. Um, we found out, you know, just in, in the time right before the game that he would be out. And, you know, even in post game, um, Andrew Jones from Tar Heel Illustrated asked coach Davis about it and asked him uh, timeline coach. I don't know if he didn't catch it or just kind of skirted that, but only really talked about missing Seth in the, um, you know, like what he would have added to this game. And so as of I'm recording this later on Tuesday night, we don't have that information yet, but man, missing Seth tremble hurt so much in this game. And, and sometimes when you have a personnel loss, you can mitigate it and, and hide that. But it was so evident in this game, particular, particularly with some of the things that Clemson was doing that Carolina wasn't able to stop. For example, Joe Girard was on fire from three in this game. I fully expect that Hubert Davis would have given Seth a, a lot of minutes working to slow Joe Girard down. And here's the problem. Joe Girard, you might recall in the first game, was 1 of 10 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3. In this game, 7 of 16 from the field and 5 of 10 from 3. That's insane. And so if Seth Trimble's defense on Joe Girard had even been able to move that from 5 of 10 from 3 down to 3 of 10 from 3, there's your six points right there and you win this basketball game. Sometimes it's just something so little like that, but man, and, and, and it wasn't just in like defense on Joe Girard. We've been seeing Seth get out and run and transition. And I know Clemson was committed to slowing Carolina down in this game and, and, and walling that off, but still Seth's energy, his athleticism, I thought was missing in a big way. Like, especially down the first, the stretch of the first half as, as Carolina is having to get into some interesting personnel groups, uh, with just a little bit of foul trouble. Um, critically down the stretch of the second half, like as Harrison goes out, as you're, you're having to play Jalen and Armando together, Jalen Washington, that is not Withers. Like there, there are just so many key moments in this game where I thought Seth certainly could have had a big enough impact to change this from a loss to a win. So you see, there's all these things, the offensive rebounding, Seth, the early hold, the late, uh, lack of execution. Just you change any one of these things and Carolina wins the game. You change three of them. Carolina wins this game by double digits. That's what we're talking about. Carolina can do that. Um, speaking of Seth missing, I thought uh, Paxson Wojcik did a very admirable job filling in. Um, he got the the lion's share of the minutes. That, that was one of the things I was curious about. Who would be the one to really step in and fill in Seth's minutes? Uh, Wojcik played a, a Carolina career high 22 minutes in this game. Um, that, that was the most he'd ever done. And look, seven points, six rebounds. He was tied for second behind Armando in rebounds, had a steal, made a three, um, attacked the rim on a couple occasions, had a nice cut and a feed from Cormac for a layup. Um, so Paxson did a lot. It's just all due respect to Paxson Wojcik. He just can't do the things that Seth Trimble can do. Seth's 
six man this off the bench is so unique for Carolina that he can do things that other players on this team just quite simply cannot do. Uh, so obviously you, you hate missing him in this game, but it is good to see other guys step in and do something in this case, specifically Paxson Wojcik, really good stuff from him. All right. We still got to get to our four corners recap of this game. Carolina's defense hasn't been as stingy lately. RJ Davis passed a big milestone in this game and several other things that we want to hit on. And we'll do that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by FanDuel. Hey, happy Super Bowl week to all of you who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about just finding a great seat on the couch, grabbing all the foods and snacks and stuff, placing some prop bets. Man, it's super fun to see all the random things that you can bet on it. Really neat. And FanDuel has a bunch of different ways like that, that you can end your season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will actually win Super Bowl 58, the 49ers, by the way, are favored by two and a half right now, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, total points scored, and so much more. So new customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, it's our Four Corners recap. We've also got the shady stat of the game, and I got to update us on our over-under game from yesterday that Coach Pat Kilby and I played. Spoiler alert, he spanked me. Okay, uh, number one in our Four Corners recap, defense. Uh, Carolina, we've talked about it all just about all season long since that Oklahoma game now. Carolina's calling card now is their defense. But there are signs of it regressing to the mean a little bit recently. One of the things we track is points per possession, uh, an average of how many points uh, a team, you as an offensive unit, and then how much you as a defensive unit allow per a team's possession. The goal, the average you're looking for is to score more than one point per possession and allow under one point per possession. Carolina had been doing a great job of this defensively, had gone through a streak, uh, basically that whole 10-game winning streak of allowing just one or two times above a point. Well, in this game against Clemson, the Tigers scored 1.176 points per possession. That is the third best an opponent has scored against Carolina this season. And in fact, it replaces Duke from Saturday. So now the third and fourth best points per possessions for an opponent have been the previous two games. In fact, six of the last seven opponents have been over one point per possession. So we're just seeing, starting to see some, some cracks in that defensive efficiency. I'd like to see Carolina tighten that up. I thought Saturday's performance was really strong. I, I didn't quite see it. I didn't think the Tar Heels were as locked in as, I mean, you, right out of the gate. Think about the difference in that Duke performance defensively and the activity that you saw from the tip versus what you saw in this one. It looked like two different teams to me in that regard. Now, Carolina found some defensive intensity in this game, but to me, it was too little too late. Also, just in just straight up points per game, you know, Carolina went through that whole stretch of allowing 70 or fewer points like it was the, that entire winning streak. The last three games, Carolina has not held a single opponent under to 70 or fewer. 74 against Georgia Tech, 84 against Duke, even though that was a win, and then 80 on Tuesday night to Clemson. So 
Um, Carolina does just need to tighten the screw some here on defense and get that back going. Number two in our four corners recap, RJ Davis. One of the things that you have to realize about what teams are doing is because of the year RJ's having, team, teams are finding all sorts of creative and inventive ways to defend him. So Carolina's having to play a little bit of 3D chess here and get out ahead of that and find ways to get RJ the ball, let him make plays and do things. And so RJ in this game, the fact that he's able to get up to 22 points is something. And he wasn't efficient shooting overall in this game, much lower than he's been of late. Overall was seven of 22, but he was very efficient from the free throw line, or excuse me, from the three point line, five of 12. And yes, one of those was a just meaningless shot at the end of the game, but whatever, it still counts. Uh, also, by the way, that means now he has 73 pointers made this season. That is a career high for RJ Davis with still eight regular season games to go. Plus however many postseason games Carolina plays his previous career high was 66 made threes. <laughs> and by the way, it's not that he's doing that and falling way down in percentage. RJ is shooting at the best three point percentage of his career, still over 40%. Great stuff there. Also, he passed uh, Michael Jordan on the all-time Carolina scoring list on Tuesday night for 15th place on the in Carolina record books. That means there are two different Tar Heels on this team that are both top 15 all-time scorers at Carolina. Next up for RJ is Joel Barry II, who scored 1,813 points. RJ right now has 1,794. Here's something else RJ did well that, that he's been doing uh, of late in particular, as teams are forcing him to, you know, are they just getting up into him more? He's becoming more and more of a distributor in this game against Clemson, five assists, zero turnovers. If that sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly what he did in those two categories against Duke. And in fact, if you spread it out to the last three games, including the Georgia tech game, RJ has 14 assists against just two turnovers. That's a seven to one assist to turnover ratio. Good grief, you will take that every day of the week. Now, interestingly, RJ's cooled off a good bit from the free throw line. In six straight games, he's missed at least one, including a front end of a one-and-one in this game. I, I think, though, quite honestly, this is just some regression to the mean after his ridiculous start to the season. He's still shooting 90% this year, exactly 90 for 100 right now, still shooting 86.2% for his career. I also saw several um, several people, and I think it's just in the immediate frustration of a game, just saying they thought RJ was playing some hero ball uh, at, at times in this game. I wouldn't say that. I would say there were a couple shots that he took that I thought were not the ideal shot, that he could have found a better one. But I, I didn't see any of it as hero balleriness. Um, I just thought it was sometimes RJ's got to be the one to take the shots. Um, but still needs to continue to find and look for shots, but even that five assists, zero turnover, it's clear he's not out here trying to play hero ball. So I, I, I disagree with that assertion. Number three on our four corners recap. This is a hot one. Everybody wants to talk about Cormac Ryan. Everyone wants to talk about Cormac should go to the bench. Everyone wants to say, put Seth Trimble in the starting lineup. Get if Cormac's not going to shoot, you know, all of it, like I am being inundated with this right now. And I get it. Cormac Ryan shot one for 10 from the field in this game and 0 of 6 from three. This poor guy just, 
it's just not there this season. Um, he's back down under 30% from three. Um, and it's frustrating. But guess what? It's very frustrating for Cormac Ryan. But what I love is that he continues to affect the game in other ways. He himself, RJ, five assists, zero turnovers. Cormac, four assists, zero turnovers. Like those are the kind of things that he's going to be able to contribute. And, and here's the reality of the situation. Like we talked about Joe Girard having a great day shooting threes on Tuesday night. The last time Carolina played Clemson, he had like basically the identical stat line to what Cormac had last night. It's, it's just what happens when you shoot the ball and he's in a pretty good season long slump, unfortunately. Um, and for me, Cormac's three-point shooting growing is one of, if not the key to Carolina reaching their ceiling this, this season. And so it's got to come. But as I said on the live postcast, Coach Davis is not going to make a change here. You just need to recognize that. And frankly, I don't think that he should. I think Cormac Ryan should continue to stay in the lineup. Just like the comparison I made was to Brian Snitker leaving Marcelo Zuna in the Braves lineup last year, even when he struggled in, in April and May and then just went bonkers through the summer. There is a day coming for Cormac, and Carolina needs to stick with him. So we'll see that. Fourth in our four corners recap. Man, it was so encouraging for me to see Armando Baycott have these back-to-back double-double performances. Um, And it wasn't 25 and 10 uh, again, but this one was 24 and 13. And 10 of 11 from the free throw line from Armando. You'll absolutely take that. From the field, not quite as efficient as the other night, but still over 50%, 7 of 13 from the field. Um, And Armando, as Carolina was into that early hole, he basically put the team on his back, scored 12 of the first 14 points and said, come on, boys, let's do this thing. Helped get Carolina in, in any hope of trying to win this game. So, um, I'm very hopeful that this is not just a, a two game blip, but, a a, a, um, a long-term thing going forward for the rest of the season. And so really, really curious to see what happens down in Miami on Saturday as he'll go up against Norchad Omir. All right. Shady stat of the game. And oh boy, since it's a loss, we got to go with a Clemson thing. Clemson in this game from the three point line, 11 of 31. It's not a high, high, high percentage, but they made 11 of them. Last time they were one of 18. That wasn't going to happen again, but I did not think Carolina would allow them to get up to double digit three pointers made. Boy, that really, really hurts. And it was going to be difficult for Carolina to do that. And you felt it right out of the gate as Clemson just started blitzing the three point line. And a big part of that story, we talked about Joe Girard, but let's put P.J. Hall in that conversation as well. Last time Carolina played Clemson, those two guys, P.J. Hall, Joe Girard, were a combined 0 for 9 from 3. In this game, 9 of 20. <laughs> Come on, man. That's it. That, to me, is the shady stat of the game. You know, I know we've talked about the offensive rebounds and the second chance points, and I really think that's there too. But just the difference in the three-point shooting does it with me and uh, does it for Clemson. But look, say it with me, the Coach Williamsism. everything looks better when the ball goes through the basket. And unfortunately, on Tuesday night, that was true for Clemson. All right. Uh, Pac and I played a game of over-under on Tuesday. show. Sure, let me just update you on that. The first one was 12 and a half points as UNC's largest lead at any time in this game. Pac took the under, I took the over. Well, Carolina never led. So Pac clearly wins. 
but unfortunately we all lose because Carolina never led. Um, the next thing we looked at was 29 and a half combined points and rebounds for Armando Baycott. Pack took the over wisely and I took the under. His combined total was 37. Pack wins that one too. And then the final one was 13 and a half rebounds over under for Harrison Ingram. He finishes with six. We both took the over on that. So we both lost. So Pack finishes our over under game two and one. Yours truly, Goose Egg, 0 and three. I will take that punishment and uh, wear it like a crown. And Pack has yet to reach out and uh, make me eat crow. And maybe he never will. So uh, don't tell him. Okay, great. Um, Friends, that's it for today's episode, today's therapy session of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks so much for coming, even after a tough loss. Come join us in the Locked on Tar Heels Discord community. Come for the heels, stay for the cord. It's awesome. The link is in the show notes. Please, if you would, subscribe to the show on video and audio. It's great. And then you can know when you're getting new episodes in all the time. Leave us, if you would, a rating and a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching, smash that like button so that we know you were here. Even after a loss, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, me and Coach Rob together. But until then, peace.